0: June 10th, 2005. June 10th, 2005. Undoubtedly a day that none of you remember, but for me, it was the day that I longed for. Rachel and I had met, and we were aspiring missionaries, and we were engaged at the time, yet we were separated. Rachel was living it up in California and Hawaii while I froze here in Minnesota. We were separated by distance, but I longed for her. I longed to behold her beauty and to see her face to face. And I was certainly grateful for the relationship that we did have, yet there was much more that I longed for, much more that I longed to behold and to see. So it is with the Christian life. If you want to turn to Revelation 22, We are loved by God, and we certainly love God. But friends, this is merely a foretaste of what is to come. When our Messiah once again comes down from the throne room of God and makes himself fully known to his people and to all of creation. So with this anticipation in mind, let us read. Revelation 22, we're going to be starting at verses 10 and going all the way down to 21, to verses 10 through 21. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do what is right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immortal and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take his share in the tree of life and then the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, you have given us so much. And we are rich. And we are rich in you. But we are people who are blessed by the Almighty King. And we know there is much more to behold. Much more to experience, God. And we pray that we would behold your beauty. Behold your holiness. Behold your grace. In such a way, God, that we would love this world. But we would long for you. All the much more. God, could You make Yourself known to us in this time and in this hour. Amen. So the main point, a brief outline of where we're going. The main point, as you've probably caught on, Jesus Christ is coming back, and you can take him at His word, He is coming back soon. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Verses 10-13, through 13, we're going to be looking at the time of Christ's return. Verses 14 through 16, we're going to be looking at the glorious inheritance of the saints. What are we as the saints, the people of God, what are we going to have when Christ returns? Then finally, we're going to be wrapping it up. Verses 17 through 21, we're going to be seeing the call of God's people. What is the longing call of God's people? So, main point. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. Verses 10 through 13, we're going to be looking at the time of his arrival. Verses 14 through 16, the inheritance, and then finally finishing up with the call of God's people. Verses 10 through 13, we're going to be looking at the time. Let's, let's go back to the text. He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do what is right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the coming of our Messiah has continually been the focus point of God's people throughout all of history. This is not something that just... now envision this glorious day of Christ coming once again. No, no, no. This has been the constant theme of God's people. Go back to Genesis 3 that Adam preached on several weeks ago. You have Adam and Eve. And they're they're deceived by the serpent. And they're cast out. And so you you have these warring factions between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And what is their hope? Their hope is not to go back into the garden. Their hope is looking forward. Their hope is in the coming Messiah. That, even going back to Genesis, that is the call of God's people, is the coming Messiah. You also see the scene going forth in Isaiah 9. We, We preached on that. We were talking about how it's a time of political and spiritual turmoil and the tribe, the, the southern tribes of Judah have been betrayed by their northern tribes, their brothers. And they call out for help from this tyrannical king, the king of Assyria, and he comes and he invades their land and he oppresses the people far worse than the northern tribes could have even imagined. And the people are calling out to them. And what is what is God's, the hope that God gives them? What is their hope? It's not the Assyrians leaving. What is the hope that God gives him? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And his government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So even outside of the garden, Their hope is in the coming Messiah. Political, national, spiritual turmoil. Their hope, again, is in the coming Messiah. And we also talked about Jeremiah 31. We talked about it a little bit today. We even see this this idea of the new covenant. Living under this old covenant. A covenant that we can't keep. You can't do it. So what is their hope? Their hope is in the coming Messiah, one who would bring the new covenant. That's not external. It's not written on a stone, but rather it's it's written on your heart. It's not temporary. It's eternal. And it's not a covenant that's broken by the sins of you and the sins of me, but rather it is a covenant that is kept by the works of Christ and His righteousness that if you are in Christ, you now have. And last week at Christmas, you see this theme still going on. The people of God longing for the coming Messiah. And you see that, as Paul writes, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And the Savior of the world has come, and He was born of a virgin. Not in a palace, but rather... In a stable. And he came and he established his own kingdom. But he lived under the rule of Herod. And other governors and princes and emperors. And there there you see it at his birth. Out on the hillside you see the angels crying out to God. Singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. To men on whom his favor rests. That's the angel. But in due time, the people of God, they reject this Messiah. The one that was longed for from Genesis and the prophets, the people of God crying out for this Messiah. He has come. And they rejected Him. Many of us would have rejected Him as well. So, you see the angels crying out, glory to God in the highest. And what do you see the people of God? The man of God, highly esteemed. What are they crying out? Crucify Him. Crucify And they mock Him as He's hanging there on the cross, breathing His last. But that was then. But what about us now? As Christians now? what What is our hope? And much of the Christian life, this is what I want us to see. Much of the Christian life is spent looking backwards and also looking forward. Looking back and rejoicing at what Christ has come and accomplished and what he has done. Yet also looking forward to the fact that he will come again. Again, this is not a new idea. This is not a new theme. The people of God in the Old Testament, they look back and they rejoiced in the fact that God redeemed them out of Egypt. But yet they look forward to the time of the coming Messiah so too we. We look backwards and we look forward. Such is the Christian life. So with that, let's, let's go back to our text here. We see how he is coming and he is, he is coming soon. Read in verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still will do what is right, and the holy still be holy. So, so soon is the return of Christ that John, who's writing this revelation, is to not even seal up the words of this of this book. And notice also how the time is so short that the evildoer will still do what is evil, and the filthy will still be filthy. And this is certainly, as you guys know, this is not a call for Christians to be lethargic in ministering to others, but rather to simply stating that the time is so short that you will go as you are, good or evil. This is now this is similar to what Paul is writing when he's writing in Romans chapter 2, he and picks it up in verse 4. He says, Do you show contempt for the riches of kind for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to right repentance. But because of your stubbornness and of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up against yourself for the day of wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by their persistence in doing good seek glory and Honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So you see that the time is coming and there will be wrath and anger. There will be the revealing of God's judgment and that it will be coming. It will be coming soon. Notice, let's go down to verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now remember when Christ came the first time. What did they expect? They expected a lion, but they got a lamb, right? They wanted someone who would be a king, but rather they got someone who was a servant. They want someone to expel the Romans. When they got someone who was killed by the Romans. And so precariously did the hope of the world just dangerously just lie there in a manger. They were expecting a roaring lion and they got a lamb lying there in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now... We find ourselves expecting a lamb to come once again, but what are we going to get? We're going to get the lion. See, you think of how, how is Jesus commonly portrayed in our culture. He's, he's a good person. He's a moral teacher. He's that guy who looks very German, that carries a lamb, this big soft lamb on his shoulders, right? And that's how we perceive him. That's how we think of him. So if a guy carrying a lamb comes back, well, big deal, you know? Maybe he'll he will be nice. They'll be fine. But when he comes back, he will come forth with his recompense, repaying each one for what he has done. He's not the baby. He's coming back as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And rather than being a guy, sweetly, softly, gently, carrying the lamb, he will ride a horse named Faithful and true, and he will have a robe dipped in blood as he executes judgment upon those who do not repent, but still continue in their rebellion against the king of kings. Friends, behold, your baby is now the king. So what do you do? How do you live your Christian life knowing that Christ will be coming, and he will be coming soon. And and I know what you're thinking. It's been 2,000 years, right? He said he's coming soon. It's been 2,000 years. But in the truest sense, it's only a moment away, right? It's only a moment away. So how do you, as a Christian, how do you live your life knowing that Christ will be coming, and he will be coming soon? We can look to the words of Christ. In, in Mark 13, he's he's predicting the, 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 the destruction from General Titus that will come upon Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But in that, he's overlapping, saying, that's a foreshadow of what is to come when I come back. And this is what Christ tells us to do. Be on guard. Be alert, Christ says. You do not know when the time will come. That's in verse 33. Go down to verse 35 of Mark 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So how do you live your life? How do you prepare for the coming King? Last week we celebrated that He has come. Now we turn our hearts in this Christian life where we're always looking back and we're looking forward. We look back at what He has accomplished and that He has come last week. This week, let us look forward to see that He is coming and He is coming again. So how do you do that? How do you prepare for the coming King? Some of you, it's repent. You're simply, quite frankly, you're not in Christ so you repent for others it's especially this time of year it's restoring broken relationships it's quite evident this time of year as we we sometimes forced right to gather with family and to see people that we don't really want to see this brokenness of this world becomes rather evident pretty quickly so as we prepare for the coming king as we work through this this holiday grind, restore broken relationships. Prepare your heart for the coming King. Okay, going back to the main idea. Jesus Christ is coming. We can take men' at his word. He is coming, and he is coming soon. Verses 10 through 13, we saw the time of his arrival. That it's going to be soon. That he's, he has come originally as a baby, but he, now he's going to be coming back as the Alpha and the Omega. So we want to prepare our hearts, knowing that the true Messiah is again going to become. So now we're going to be looking at the inheritance of the saints, and we're going to see when he does come back, what are the glorious riches that he will bring for his people. So verses uh, 14 through 16. Let's go back to the text. Lest there are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who practices or loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So you, you see, in the return of Christ, there will be nothing but a day of great joy and a day of great dread. Great joy for those who love God and are loved by Him. A great day of dread for those who continue to walk in rebellion against the King of kings. So for those who trust in Christ, they will be blessed. They will have the right to the tree of life and they will enter the city of by the gates. And this is nothing less than the restoration of Eden. Of all that was lost back in Genesis 1 and 2. So go up several verses, if you have your Bibles open. Go up several verses to the beginning of this chapter and see what God has in store for His people. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, going back to Genesis 3, the curse of all mankind. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. They will see him face to face. We will not be separated, and our names will be on their foreheads. There will be a main identity. We will be found in Christ. That will be who we are. There will be no more night. There will be not a need for the lamp, light of the lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So formerly, Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden because God didn't want them to eat of the tree of life. They had eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They had fallen into sin, but had they eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in this fallen state. There would be no plan of redemption. There would be no glorious redemption of God's people. But when the Messiah comes, we will have unmitigated access to this tree of life how glorious how glorious would it be and it, it's we just, oftentimes it doesn't seem glorious because we try to think of it in earthly terms and that's well yeah it's not that appealing then this is god come down to earth this is not an extension of earth This is God and His dwelling, and we will be coming into there. We will dwell with God. You will dwell with God. If that is not rich to your heart, that's a good litmus test of where you are standing with Christ. Dwelling with God is not a zealous joy within you. We see in Revelation 21 that it will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain that the first things have passed away. And all of our desires, all of your desires, will come into fruition when Christ comes back. So that's the joy for those who are in Christ. But we also see that it will be a day of great dread. So turn your attention to verse 15. You see how Christ's return is a great day of dread. For you, for the people of God, if you are in Christ, you'll be inside the city. But for those who are not in Christ, they will be outside the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. For them... There will be no hope. No hope. And while there's still this day, for this moment, there is hope for them. But when our Messiah returns, the season of hope will be gone, for the day of dread will be upon them. So again, we ask ourselves, as, as Christians, as we process this, as we think about this. How does your life change knowing that you have this grand inheritance, this riches of Christ? How does your life change? How does that make you more like Christ? Or this next week, as you dwell upon the riches of Christ that you will inherit when Christ comes back, how does it change your life? First, I, I think it, it gives this perspective to, to this life that we can only have in Christ, We realize as Christians that we are merely sojourners and strangers passing through, going through this land as we walk the path to, to the celestial city. So we know when we have that perspective of sojourner and stranger that, that the joy of this world, it's wonderful and we, we enjoy it, but it, we see that it's fleeting. And so it's, it's foolish to recklessly abandon everything to pursue this joy of the world. Because it's nothing compared to what we have when Christ comes. And conversely, the sorrow. Not only the joy of the world, but the sorrow of this world. We, it's, it's still palatable. You can still taste it, and you can still feel it. But it changes its dimension when you know that it's, it's just temporary. It's going to end, and it will end when our Messiah comes. And our sorrow, when you think about it, our sorrow is the deepest when it seems to linger. So when you, you have a child who disobeys, well, that's frustrating. You have a child who continues to disobey, Well, that brings you into the depths of despair. We think of it in terms of illness. If you you have an illness and you think it's temporary, well, then it's palatable. You can endure it. You go to the doctor and you receive news that it's not going away. That same illness, the same symptoms that were palatable, well, now it can throw you into despair because it's lingering and seeming to go on and on. But... As Christians, we know the sorrow of this world. It is real. We don't say that it's not, but it's temporary. So it gives us a framework in which we are able to understand and endure the sorrow of this world. Conversely, secondly, as we see this glorious inheritance coming, it gives you a new identity as well. So when you you allow it to simmer in your minds that you will receive this glory and inheritance, the concerns of this world, they seem to mitigate and dissipate. And when you realize that much of this world is temporary and it's fleeting, who you are in Christ, well, that becomes much, much more critical. So so for mothers, uh, it's often said that a mother will never be um, any happier than our least happy child, right? You, you, you just can't rise. You can't rise above it. And so you. that's why Tertullian, a uh, little church history plug here, uh, Tertullian calls it the, the bitter, bitter pleasure of children. It's, it's bitter, but it's a pleasure as well. As a mother, when you realize that you have this glorious inheritance coming to you and awaiting for you, well, then you see that you're not just a mother. Rather, you're a daughter. You're a daughter of the King of kings who's going to come in return and lavish these riches upon you. So, you're able to reorient how you are, how you see yourself. Your identity is found in Christ and his glorious love for you, not so much in the actions of wayward or of whimsical actions of our children. Because your identity is not solely in that. Moving forward. main idea that we're working under again. Christ is coming back and he is coming back soon. We see that his time is coming and he is coming soon for his people to redeem them. And when he comes back, he's going to have this glorious inheritance for his people that reorients the way that we're able to have joy in this world, the way that we're able to see the sorrow of this world, knowing it's just temporary. And it also reorients how we see ourselves as Christians. Because we realize that the categories that we have, as simply for mother, for example, it's not just that, but rather you are the daughter of the glorious king. Now we're going to be turning And finishing up verses 17 through 21, we're going to be looking at the call of God's people. In light of all of this, how do we respond? How do Christians respond? Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires Take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away from him the share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you all. Amen. So it's only natural that we as Christians, that we as the people of God, would be yearning for Him to come back. You see that in verse 17, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the one who hears say, Come. John's response in verse 20, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, we stand in line. Remember, Christians, this is not novel to us. We stand in line of, the, of God's people going back to Genesis who are yearning for the coming Messiah. We're grateful as we look back. As Christians, as we look back, we are grateful for what He has done. Yet we yearn and we long that He will come again. And it's here that we once again realize that we are just aliens. We're, we're sojourners and we're strangers passing through this land. So what? What else could our our, our hope and our be? Let, let's be frank. We don't want this to continue. There's there's moments of joy, but the sorrow is an unending theme. So as Christians. Living in this culture, I think this, this, this longing for Christ in his return, as Christians, as we live in this culture, this is one of the main tenets of the Christian life that has been neglected. It's the cultural narrative that we live in, that we swim in. This cultural narrative has trained us to think moment by moment, moment by moment. So I want something? I don't get dressed, I don't go into town. No, I just click on it, and then it miraculously appears the next time I open up the door. It's waiting for me, moment by moment. This instant gratification. We want it, and so we're trained to think that immediate satisfaction is best. So as Christians, you see this influence, the way we think, we we want... the we want a best life now. We don't want the one to come. No, we want it now. So the cultural narrative, it even infiltrates the way that we as Christians think. But it's foolishness. Because we this world that simply has no answers for sorrow, this, this type of thinking, this moment by moment, it has no answers for the sorrow that is quite evident in our lives, especially this time of year. So, for example, the opioid opioid epidemic. That's that's medicine's answer to the suffering of this world. I have pain. I can't see that it has a purpose. I can't see that it's going to end. Moment by moment, I have pain now. I want it gone now. Well-intentioned medicine is treating this. Now we have an opioid epidemic. So we see this as Christians... We see that the simple words "Come, Lord Jesus," is a balm for your soul that the world can never give. Come, Lord Jesus. As uh, many of you know, Rachel and I we lost our baby Emma a little over five years ago, and. It's just waves upon waves of grief just bury you. And you get your head up. And it's just grief buries you once again. And it's just darkness it comes over you. And you spend your several years just walking in a fog, as some of you are now doing. And you realize the world has nothing simply has nothing to offer except in Christ we have much. So we look back and we're joyous at what he has done, but yet we long, we long for Christ to come and to come again. And so you have the plea of God's people and the plea of your heart, my friends, is to be, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's all we have. What else do we have as Christians? Broken and spiritually deprived. It's all we have. So that is our, our longing is that Christ would come. Praise be to God. We are promised He will come and He will come soon. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are reminded that the pursuit of this world is so fleeting, so fickle. pray that You would chasten our hearts to such a degree that we would see the foolishness of it all, God. That we would have hearts that are oriented towards You, that are longing for You, God, even this hour. May we long for You and for Your return, God. Christ, we ask that Christ would come back. God, if You seem to tarry even yet another day or another week, we pray that You would hold us and that You would hold us fast. We long for You, God. May you come and come soon. Amen.